it's the science of I don't know what really. I mean, it's the science of inner city development. It's the science of broadening your mind. It's the science of changing your perceptions. It's the science of just uh, talking to two guys who showed us a good time <laughs> 10 days ago as we went on a, a fabulous walkabout of Hillbrow. Um, it started at Ponty, the, the 1970s circular tower block. It dominates the skyline of Hillbrow. You can't miss it. You go down Joe Slovo Drive. It used to be Harrow Road. And just before you get to Ellis Park, it's there on your right-hand side. It's, it's massive. You can't miss it. It was built as luxury flats, turned into a slum, and now it's back on the way up, uh, as are many, many parts of Hillbrow, into creating really nice, affordable accommodation, well-located for people who work in the city of Johannesburg and who work in the Hillbrow, even people who work anywhere along the M1 motorway. Frankly, um, it's a very good launch pad into, into the northern suburbs as well. Now, two guys accentuating the positive of inner-city renewal without pretending that it's all peachy and perfect. They don't make that pretense at all. Nicholas Bauer, best known for being tossed about like a cork on television. <laughs> um, he's got a smile on his face as big as the night you were being thrown around by Zimbabweans, like you, <laughs> you were some kind of rag doll in Bravertain. Um, when Robert Mugabe decided, well, when the army decided Robert Mugabe wasn't going to be president of Zim anymore. Indeed. Uh, and one that, of, that, one that, of the highlights. That, that, and, and no, that wasn't Bravertain. That, that was Hilbra. Was that Hilbra? That was Hilbra. But you had a great time. I know. It was a fantastic evening, fantastic experience, and one that will live with me for a very long time. That's home. Yeah, it is, pretty much. I mean, quite literally that that uh, celebration, because a lot of people were like, oh, pandemonium protest, Zimbabweans are going crazy. It was a massive outpouring of, you know, just relief. Um, and it was the biggest party that I've ever experienced in Hillbrown. I've been there for quite a few New Year's. Uh, and it was quite literally uh, not even a half a block from where I live. I live across the road from the Telcom Tower. Um, that is what they used to call the J.G. Stradrom Tower, the exactly. Hillbrow Tower, the exactly. Telcom Tower. Uh, and Michael Luptak, they call him Loopy. Um, you guys, did you guys grow up together? Okay, yeah, sure. we, we met did, in church. Actually. Um, That's a long on, time on ago. The, on, the, on, on the Wusrand. On the Wusrand. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on the other side of the train tracks, you know, the wrong side. <laughs> and, and so after that, Hillbrow, was, was, you came up in the world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Somewhat, yeah. yeah. Now, so, I mean, Lupi, when did you guys come sort of, did you guys move from the West Rand together with this mission to go and live an alternative kind of life for two white guys from, from, from the West Rand just to broaden your horizons? Was the only place you could afford to live? What was the mission? Yeah, I think uh, Nicholas was the first to arrive. Obviously, he's a journalist so he's not uh, well yeah (laughs) (laughs) um so he was sent by an editor to go and do a story and then uh the story came out but it was this really cliched kind of prostitute gangster criminality drugs kind of story you know um and instead he left with a signed lease of which i attended the first housewarming of you know of his apartment that he that he moved into and as they say i suppose the rest was history i mean why wouldn't you want to live in a beautifully situated north-facing apartment overlooking, uh, you know, the whole of Josie. It was just superb. You know, so you went on the story and left with a lease. Um, and that apartment that you occupied, which is on the 51st floor, 51st floor um, does have those panoramic views. And you see all the way to the West Rand, to the sunsets, and all the way to the east, past the airport, to the sun rises. And you've got that beautiful aspect of the whole of the north of Johannesburg at your feet. But Ponty's been through many 
many iterations. Mm. I mean, when it was built, luxury flats, that was the vision. And they were luxurious and they were triple, triple story penthouses. If you lived, if you lived there, by the way, um, in the 1970s, if you lived there in the 80s, the 90s and the noughties, please give us a call on 011-883-0702-021-446-0567. You've had a bit of a history lesson from the architect, a guy called Rodney Groskopf, who I'm told by our SMS line, today's his birthday. Oh, no way. Oh. Happy birthday. No, no, no. Okay, okay, don't turn everybody off. <laughs> um, you do many things so well. That's not one of them. <laughs> Rod, Rod, Rodney Groskopf, um, he, he was the architect and one of the last surviving people who involved in the construction. What did he tell you about this, this huge cylindrical tower? Well, you know, we spoke uh, off air about the things that you can and can't say on radio. And I suppose this is the ones that does make the grade. He called it what his gigantic erection. Yeah. Isn't that right? So Rodney Groskopf, when he spoke to us about it, he, you know, a lot of people thought that it had to do with the post-postmodernism architecture at the time that they decided to put this concrete toilet roll holder on the hill in Johannesburg. But it actually had to do with a, a bylaw, uh, Bruce, that a bylaw uh, that stated during the time that you needed two sources of light and uh, air in uh, both your kitchen and your bathroom. Uh, and in terms of bang for buck, that was the design that they came out. And it was a group of architects led by a guy called Manfred Harmer, who's no longer around. Rodney Groskopf is the uh, last surviving men- member. And uh, the lead designer was a guy called Manny Feltman. And yeah, I mean, like just just like you described, you know, the the apartment that I moved into was actually the first floor of what was a three-story apartment, which was kitted out with wine cellars and saunas and the creme de la creme of inner city living, really. But by the time the 80s rolled around, um, you know, the apartheid government took a look around and said, well, Hillbrow's a hell of a lot different to the rest of South Africa. And the fact that it's extremely cosmopolitan. So you have uh, expats from all over the world coming in and working. So like German engineers mixing with English bankers and uh, white South Africans of the time. But they were also mixing with uh, with people of color. Uh, and it was one of the very first places in South Africa that had uh, dance halls with mixed race licenses. And the apartheid government took a look around. They're like, no, no, no. You know, white and black people are mixing. Uh, let's gray. Let's call this area a gray area. Not very creative. They redlined it. They called it a gray area. Yeah. What does that mean, Lupi? So basically it means that uh, the apartheid government, because of the level of nonconformity and like rebellion that existed in these areas, actually a lot of our political leaders today find refuge in these areas because they had this, this power to talk and not be prosecuted. You know, some of the ANC houses are still around Yeovil at the moment as well. So what the redlining meant was that government's response to this nonconformity meant that they were going to turn off the economic taps to the area, which meant that they stopped a lot of the infrastructure funding. They stopped uh, looking after the parks. And then that's where Hillbrow slowly started to become the poster child for urban decay, you know, uh, and the perception that South Africans dearly love to hold on to because it just sells more, you know. Uh, absolutely. I mean, Hillbrow is a basket case. Hillbrow is a waste of time. You don't go to Hillbrow and that's where you go to get killed or you know, do do all kinds of stuff that you wouldn't tell your mother about. Um, it says Yvonne Gillespie, who emailed me a little earlier, I lived in the Phelan's Hotel in Hillbrow from 1963 to 1966 when I married. It was a great experience. Totally safe. Restaurants, coffee bars, shopping, etc. My husband sang folk with Des and Dawn Lindbergh. Who, who used to be, who were the big entertainment in, in the hood in those days. Um, uh, Carlington Motors in Hillbrow has a fantastic garage uh, and the service our cars. We never had a complaint. And then the wheels came off. Um, now, I would like to discuss, I mean, I've, as I responded to Yvonne earlier and I said, you know, the wheels have been found. Not all of the wheels have been reattached, but we know where the wheels are. And there are at least two of the wheels that are on. 
Um, you can't drive it yet necessarily, um, but there is an extraordinary resurgence of energy in Hilbra, which we want to talk about in just a bit. But Ponty went from being these luxury flats to at one point having like 10,000 residents. It was built for 800 and had 10,000, that inner tube with six stories of 15, 15 stories of filth. Mm-hmm. It must have been horrendous. Oh, indeed. Indeed. I mean, look, the residents of that time, from a period of about 1994 to 2002, when it was declared the first vertical urban slum uh, in South Africa, and I think on the, on the, on the continent as well, um, you know, 15 stories of, of trash piled into the middle, no running water, no electricity. And obviously there wasn't a census at the time, but estimations go from 8,000 to 10,000 people calling Ponty um, home. And this was when, you know, you heard all the stories about the underworld, the poster child of the underworld in uh, in Johannesburg, uh, and you know it's got it's got a crazy story. And I stayed there for three and a half years, Loopy for four and a half, and many a time I thought, geez, the stories that these walls could tell if they could talk. But gosh, I'm really lucky that they don't talk because <laughs> the things they must have seen. Completely. Um, and but, but now, both of you have moved out, but you've moved out because you can't buy in there. You both both of you wanted to invest. Both of you wanted to buy. Lupi, you live near Ellis Park, Troyville. Uh, in Troyville. There we go. Uh, and and uh, and you then, Nicholas, live just around the corner from the from the, from the telecom tower. Yeah. yeah. Who owns Ponty? Is Kempston Truck and Hire Group. Um, it's the biggest privately owned company in South Africa. And, uh, you know, it is a bit jarring every now and again. People wonder, well, what's the biggest truck and hiring group in South Africa know about owning Ponty? But yeah. nonetheless, it, it uh, entered their portfolio after a bad debt in the 90s. Tony Cottrell. Yeah, Tony yeah. Cottrell. Tony okay, Cottrell. Uh, I met him in Davos, of all places. Really? No, not Davos, I beg your pardon, uh, with Warren Buffett um, in Omaha, Nebraska. Oh, he, right. was, he was on, not Davos, it's the other Davos, <laughs> where, where the other rich people go. Um, and, uh, yeah, I met Tony Cottrell there. He was there to go and listen to, it was about two years ago, to go and see the, the, the Oracle of Omaha speak. Um, so he owns it, and it's, it's all let, is it? And, and there's a property management company. You guys, property management company. You guys started a business called Dlala and Je. What's Dlala and Je mean? Tlala uh, and Jay is actually an Isizulu word for just play. And uh, we started it as a residence project because we realized that not only were our apartments affordable, but also the retail spaces downstairs were quite competitive when we compared them to other retail markets. And um, we just wanted to do something on the side, you know. We were we had a bit of spare money and we wanted to invest into something, but we didn't really think um, it was going to take off too much. So we ran past a few ideas like a pie shop and a laundry and things like that didn't really take off. But then we were introduced to someone by the name of Lucky Manike, who at the time was uh, an agent uh, who was like responsible for letting out some of the properties. And he told us that there's about four or five hundred children in the building and all of their parents were quite hesitant to let them play on the streets, obviously because of these kinds of harsh realities that exist out there. So they were forced to play within these horribly uninspiring and brutalist kind of uh, corridors and hallways of Ponty. Um, and we thought to ourselves that, uh, that, 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 that wasn't very cool. I mean, especially if you're a youngster growing up and you're looking for opportunities and you're doing stuff. So initially an arcade, you know, and, uh, we, we, it, it was just coin operated machines that ranged from foosball to, uh, arcade games to a few pool tables and things like that. But we also realized that the kids in the building were like hella smart, you know. 
they, uh, we had a strong Zimbabwean community who lived with us and they, they, they slowly found out that one of the Zimbabwean coins, I can't remember which one it was, was a very similar, if not the same size as the coins that were being used to, to uh, play games. So although we thought the shop was humming on a daily basis, <laughs> at the end of the month when we came to enter, you know, all the different games and stuff, we had found that all the money was negligible, you know. Whoa. So, yeah, I mean, that was part of the story too because we had to kind of subsidize a lot of the operational expenditure of the arcade yeah. through our full-time salaries. And then it just, it was tough, you know. It's tough. But nowadays they do lots of team building. They do lots of corporate events. They get teams of people in, school kids coming in, and saying, come, let's go for a walk around Hillbrook. Got a call from John Robbie today to say, oh, why are you talking to the guys all about Ponty? And he was there with you, with people from the National Treasury. And you actually put up the Hillbrook Tower. And the idea was to get the National Treasury to think about the space differently. And that was a really interesting story. Let's talk about that in just a second. Cabello is driving. You shouldn't be texting while you're driving, Cabello. St. Ponty covers the skyline of Joburg. I can even see it as I drive out of Soweto now. Um, and then some other comments coming through this evening. It says, Caroline, I'm 60 years old. I own five properties in Hillbrow. It's a fabulous investment. Not a dangerous place, but you do have to be streetwise. That's Caroline. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a second as well. The thing that struck me as we walked through Hillbrow on Saturday 10 days ago and just went through the streets of Hillbrow and uh, admired a lot of the infrastructure that was there, looked at some of the dilapidated buildings, went to a hijacked building and went to a building that had previously been hijacked, which is now full of excrement and all sorts of other terrible things. But you get a sense of a wasted opportunity or a lost opportunity. I'm not sure if it's wasted or lost because I was blown away by the sense of optimism on the streets of Hillbrow of the people who live there in these blocks of flats. And people are paying pretty hefty rentals to live there. Well, indeed. I mean, you know, Bruce, I would argue Hillbrow is really uh, an example of the magnitude of opportunity that the City of Gold has to offer. Because, like, while you have these stereotypical stories about gangs, drugs, prostitution, crime... It's all there. You have the, yeah, it is. But it's living cheek and jowl next to amazing spirit of entrepreneurship, amazing spirit of determination, where people will arrive with nothing but the clothing on their backs, but build themselves up and build themselves up slowly, uh, but surely, and, and really excel in the so-called New York of Africa. Uh, Lupi, tell me about the wall, where it's like the, 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 the most incredible um, sort of classifieds I've ever mm. seen in my uh, life. Yeah. Offline version of so, Gumtree. Uh, the offline yeah. version of Gumtree is bits of paper stuck to a wall. Yeah, so basically it's situated very close to an area where a lot of immigrants get into Johannesburg from various parts of the continent. And uh, it's obviously, there's a spaza shop there where you can hook yourself up with a SIM card and things like that. But the really interesting part is Hillbrow has a lot of... Uh, really good accommodation and sometimes it's being used in, in different and interesting ways but uh, the wall that you're talking about is basically just an area where people use ch like just chewing gum and they take a, a leaflet or a flyer where they're advertising a room in there it's almost like an airbnb for hillbrow really uh, <laughs> where people advertise some of some rooms in their own homes where uh, you can stay to help pay some of the rent and as a result uh, there are some buildings in hillbrow that are somewhat overcrowded uh, sometimes up to 10 or 12 people staying in uh, one apartment um, and if you take the square meterage or the amount of rental that's kind of generated per square meter 
centre, you would be very competitive to some of the areas here in Santon, surprisingly enough, yeah. because there's maybe 12 people each paying, you know, one or two or 3,000 rand. Boom, if you've got a, an 80 square metre, 100 square metre apartment, boom, you might as well be on Gwen Lane. <laughs> <laughs> no apartments on Gwen Lane. That's the home of the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. <laughs> um, but, but, uh, Doesn't White Monopoly Capital live there? So we're told. Um, the, there were two old ladies sitting on a bollard nearby to this offline gum tree. They've got a very special job. Um, you have to recall my memory. The, the verific- they're like the verification agency. They're like the Fitch and the Standard and Poor's of, 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 of Hillbrow. Of, of Hillbrow. Uh, well, aren't they the people who verify um, what goes on? They've got a cell phone, and if you want to phone, they will make the call and say, yep, looks pretty decent. You can, you know, you can give them an interview. Sort yeah, of I, mean, I mean, just like Nicholas said, there's a wealth of opportunity, and people are finding really interesting ways to help others or to even make a bit of income for themselves. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, those, those, those places do exist those 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 ladies do exist they do a fantastic job you know um but at the same time i think a lot of the time people just phone and they say look i'm looking for a place to stay and it just happens just like anywhere mm. else you know i suppose that's what we really sell is that the, you know the, the the like normality of hillbrow has been forgotten you know yeah i mean but, but what you do then is you you bring people in and you get them to change their minds about an area that they otherwise might not have gone to or would have avoided like the plague um with those guys from the national treasury for example it's saying, guys, this is a missed opportunity. I mean, um, one looks at the inner city of Johannesburg and there's lots of urban regeneration going, but Hillbrow's already got the infrastructure and the roads and the, the blocks of flats, many of which could do with a bit of a spruce. Um, lots of opportunity. Indeed. And, uh, I mean, the Telcom Tower is, is the greatest example of stakeholder misalignment that you could ever think of. Explain uh, that. Well, Telcom Tower is owned by oh, the Telcom, mm-hmm. which is a state-owned enterprise, or at least partly. Um, and... The city of Johannesburg has made efforts in the past decade or so to try and re-launch um, the Telkom Tower precinct. And now it's just sitting as a wide, gaping, open goal waiting to be scored that will completely transform the area around it in Hillbrow. And at the base of that is an old post office, a red brick post office, which has been sealed up and abandoned. I can only just imagine inside there, there must be some really nice Amboya wood. There must be really nice. And I kind of feel that there's a Saturday morning market vibe which could happen there a little bit, um, you know, like the, the, these markets that have sprung up all over the place. They're in Joburg. They're in, they're in Cape Town. Um, there's a Bramfortain market. Why not a Hillbrow market? There is, there's got to be an opportunity. And Mark Bounds, you could just give them that to run what? the market from. True. Very, very, very true. <laughs> You're not using it. Not only that, but it's also 800 meters from the Constitutional Hill. Yeah. So, I mean, the nodes that you can connect within the inner city that it's uh, alongside things that are already happening. It strikes me, though, that where people in, get very comfortable in Santon, people who get very comfortable in Rosebank, people who get very comfortable wherever they're sitting in their, in their ivory towers need to do this. Oh, of course. Of course. Hands down. I mean, look, uh, we are the highest rated uh, tour operator on TripAdvisor within the Johannesburg inner city. Um, we originally started by only having tourists come and visit us, then intrepid Joe Burgers. South and Africans then, don't do walking tours. They're the oh, best thing no, you can no. ever do in any city you ever it, visit it, anywhere. Exactly. Exactly. That's changed though. And, uh, you know, we've also branched out as well into various other tourism markets, but we also do corporate training as well. Because um, at the end of the day, we live in the most unequal society on earth. And, uh, you know, a little bit of understanding uh, 
as to how a market works on, a, on the ground is absolutely invaluable from a, a corporate perspective. So do you get people like, Lupi, do you get, like, you get guys from 135 Ravonia Road, which is Nedbank across the road. <laughs> um, um, do, you, do you get them coming in in their, in their pinstripe suits and their tires and their brogues yeah, I mean, uh, and being uh, a little bit frightened and clutch, yeah, it, clutching their briefcases? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we have an interesting business as well that's centered around curating experiences for business. Uh, which helps us kind of isolate and build on leadership qualities that we think are required in the newer South Africa. So um, I've often had the privilege of working with some really interesting bankers and lawyers and all types of industry. Um, and we, we, we generally get a brief to create a lot of discomfort because that's where all the magic happens, we're told. So, um, so we take people very much out of their comfort zones and we introduce them to you know, the people that they're selling their products to and some of the employees that may be working in their office. And basically, it just creates a, a beautiful empathetic lens to doing like socially responsible decision making as a business where we understand that, you know, there has to be a shared value approach to everything that we do in South Africa. Um, because today, I mean, at least for the last 30 or 40 years in South Africa, business has been predominantly, you know, big and capitalistic and profit generating and in you know, expanding internationally. And I, I, I just feel that sometimes the youth and a lot of important things in South Africa have been forgotten. So the real objective with the immersions and the corporate leadership programs that we have is to just kind of, you know, have the, the, the difficult discussions about gender and race and um, equality, you know, and have those on the streets with people. You know, we're very firm believers that learning in South Africa in 2018 happens out of your office and in the real world. And often South Africans are the most insular people, especially the guys holding the big corporate positions. Um, so we're there to rattle them up a bit, you know. Does it work? I, I believe so. Um, for me, the greatest thing that has happened to us is, is not the almost half a million rand that we spend in Hillbrow on an annual basis in terms of our suppliers and supply chain. Uh, it's not the multitude of opportunities that we give to the kids in our community center, but it's that actual change you see on someone's face when they arrive and they're completely out of their comfort zone. And they are, I mean, John Robbie, I don't know if he's listening, but he, he told me at the end of our tour, you know, I decided to take my watch off before we went on this tour. It's and, not even a nice watch. <laughs> <laughs> but by the end of the tour, Bruce, they're in a Shabin or they're on the corner and they're taking selfies with the locals. And there's just, you know, you can't, you can't measure that impact for me to just change people's minds. Nicholas Bauer. He is, uh, you'll know him from ENCA and his mate from the West Rand, Michael Luptak, known as Loopy. They ran, run this business called Ndalanjer and it is all about changing perceptions, all about shaking you out of your comfort zone. And it's really interesting and it's something you really should do. Honestly, you should go and do it.